Okay, welcome to the Run Uni podcast, um, Thomas B. Williams. <laughs> how are you today, sir? That'd be me. Yeah, I'm very well, thank you, Mike. How are you, mate? Very well. I'm just going Thomas B. Williams because that's exactly what it says on your, your Instagram. Yeah. Long, long story short, there's too many Tom Williams out there. I had to add that middle initial just to get a bit of differentiation. Yeah, you sound like a very famous like jazz like. <laughs> well, yeah, I could be. I mean, in, in a former life, I could have played a bit of jazz. Get on the sax. Yeah, good. <laughs> yeah. Good. So today, um, we are going to be talking about breath and breathing. Um, more importantly for us, how it relates to running, but almost every topic that we've covered so far in relation to running it's life you know if if you can't do these sort of things normally if you don't have this sort of strength or capacity normally then you're going to really struggle when you're running um so it's exactly the same with 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 breathing you can't breathe perfect perfectly when you're running if you don't breathe well um when you are you know living your daily life so welcome along again um so Thomas, tell us a bit about yourself, please. Um, you are a physiotherapist originally. Yeah. Um, yes, still, still, still currently practicing. Yeah. So, <laughs> I um, yeah, I'm a physiotherapist. I'm into would would be uh, six years into it. Um, all private practice so in australia that's you know just working with clients publicly or in the public um i was very fortunate uh when i went through university i didn't know i wanted to be a physio i just had the right mentors and the right sort of places and got into the right gigs and a lot of it was to do with sports and, and running in particular so through my sort of formative years as a physio learning the private practice realm and understanding it i saw a lot of athletes and and you know that sort of semi-pro athletes and a lot of those guys even went on to like play wallabies and stuff so right. exposure to decent sort of athletes and, and runners mm-hmm. um throughout my experiences learning and then through that time i sort of i myself being a former football or soccer player mm-hmm. i hurt my coccyx got a knee to the the coccyx from the goalkeeper was not enjoyable and that would have been about my just just into my second year of physio. So I I struggled with chronic pain with that um, for six months before I eventually found a physio. So I was about four or five physios deep at that point, um, just to try and alleviate the pain and be able to walk normally. Couldn't walk without discomfort. Couldn't sit without discomfort. And when I finally found the physio uh, that I did, his name's Roger. He um one of the drills he gave me was breathing, um, just simple simple breathing, and it. It was the f- the first time in six months that my pain had actually reduced to the zero, just in a standard standing there. And me being inquisitive, I asked him, you know, what the hell? I don't get that. Makes no sense. Because oh, at the time, within the session. Yep. Wow. Yep. In the session. In the session, I actually could bend forward. I could do all these movements, and I was like, how? Like, why? What happened? And he did. He did a couple of extra exercises with me in the clinic, but it was it was just like a light bulb, like a shock, because I'd never really practice heard of or understood breathing for musculoskeletal stuff at that point it was all for sort of cardiorespiratory problems like copd emphysema etc and that just sort of went down the old rabbit hole of like well i'm gonna find this out and figure out what's going on and that was honestly i mean i'm still embarking on that journey but there was a solid three years just straight of trying to understand how breathing affects the way i practice and then how it affects the way i move and uh, again, just lucky, just at the right places at the right time, just met the right people and just got exposed to a lot of different approaches to it. So I never traditionally did yoga, but I, I've practiced a little bit of yoga, a little bit of Pilates, but it was just like, you know, I've done uh, dynamic neuromuscular stabilization, original strength stuff, done like Brian McKenzie's out of breath stuff, just the broad scope of everything, breathing, Wim Hof, oxygen advantage and just being able to piece together a lot of things across that timeline that a lot of it is the same. Like a lot of what people talk about is the same and there's nuance to it and things can be easier and harder, but I took all of it and I've, I've still been taking all of it and trying to simplify it as best as possible to the practical experience. And then on the back end, just continue to create these educational tools for people. So that's, that's a big part of what my journey is. So now whilst I still work as a physio, I'm, and I still work with a lot of runners and such. I'm currently in the process of planning out a lot more sort of breathing programs for people that are designed to work from basics. So if you've never done it, you don't understand it. You can go through this as an experiential platform to show how it's going to benefit you in your life. And particularly the whole first thing is learning to breathe through your nose. Cause a lot of people struggle with that. And 
I'm very lucky again, just sitting around today. Like that's what I've been doing, just trying to get these programs up and running for the end of the year. So, so you can only help so many people in clinic, as you know. Yeah. And if you can create these simple tools that people could start doing and just you know being their own experimenters and scientists, I think it's just yeah, it's a nicer way to sort of build on the, the clinic work. So that's a big part of the journey, or yeah. most of it, I'd say. Yeah, I, I I've also found that you know going back to you know taking different pieces of information um, and different different methods, you you can then see the patterns in other in other um, areas. You know, for for yoga, for example, when they talk about the breath, it then starts to make sense. Oh, I see what they were trying to do there for thousands of years with yoga with the breath. Whereas oh. previously you'd be like, oh yeah, breathe in, breathe in, breathe in, breathe out. But once you kind of understand it, you're like, okay, yeah. Well, that's when I looked into yoga, like when we get sort of taught clinical yoga, mm-hmm. I hated it. I, I just thought it was terrible to be honest. But then I started like going back further, like what was yoga before yoga yeah. became commercialized? And I was like, oh, this is genius. Like the yeah. whole original premise of yoga and, and, the Tibetan rites, which is like about five exercises for people to do. Yeah. It's just all about moving in different directions and being able to hold your breath, not hold your breath, breathe in in positions, breathe out and just modulate it across all sorts of different postures. And I was like, Oh, this is just perfect. Yeah. <laughs> We've messed around with that too much. Yeah. We, we, we should stop messing around with what they did thousands of years ago. They knew <laughs> what was going on. The way I, we explain the importance of breath to people is you got, you've got two, two aspects to it. You've got one aspect of it, of it that it's fuel. So this is how we get into um, the, the more elite athletes. You know, you, your food is your fuel, but your oxygen is your fuel for, for, for how your cell works. So if you're not optimizing your oxygen delivery, okay, um, then it doesn't matter how well you're eating or your mechanics, you're always going to be at a bit of a disadvantage. And the second part of it is, for, this is what I say, is the... The mechanics, the neuromuscular mechanics, the nervous system mechanics of how the way you breathe affects how you move um, and also affects your, your whole nervous system and how it's how it's coping with stress. Um, I, re- I did a bit of Wim Hof, I did a bit on mechanics of breathing just because I knew it was causing problems for people's body positions. Um, and I read the oxygen advantage. I think I read it three times so I could really study it, um, which was a lot on the um, CO2 tolerance, which I thought, which was really a, a mind blower for me. I really thought that was, that was brilliant. So let's, yeah, how, how does that sit with, with how you kind of, how, how do you work your way into people that haven't come to you for breathing to talk about breathing? That's, that's a that's it it's always it's always a fun starting point yeah. it's um but also it's probably even just to put it in the context just to keep it within the running specific like i think you find that i think i think runners in general they are aware that they are breathing when they're running yeah. right they they understand that they get that the question is do that do they feel really puffed or exerted and i think we we're talking about this the other day like a lot of runners that you'll see particularly the first time of your weekend warriors they're really huffing and puffing and they're really exerting a lot of effort, but they're not necessarily getting much out of the effort. And they're always getting tired. They're always getting knackered. They're, always, they're feeling red in the face. And because they don't know any better, it's a habit, right? So in terms of like that, it's starting with this idea, this is what you're doing. So you can see, and then we're going to go all the way back to the start. And we're going to take all those key concepts and I'm going to explain them to you and then go through the experience of what they all are. So to the, to the, like the point of the oxygen advantage, I think it's a great book. I mean, I've, I've definitely read it more than three times. I've, I've studied that thing back and forward just because it's, it's part of the book that I've had to learn a lot, a lot from. And that CO2 tolerance is key, but breaking things down, like you have how you're, you're meant to be breathing in terms of at rest versus with exertion versus your sort of maximum exertion. And then you have, what does that do to you, to your point, from a oxygen delivery standpoint? Mm-hmm. What it does to you from a mechanical standpoint, but then also like the psychological standpoint, like what does that do to you and how you're able to mentally cope with things? Because at, at the elite level of any sort of sport or activity, there's two really big things that occur that are probably set people apart. One's vision. So if you play a ball sport or you're running for sports, vision is key but we're not going to talk about vision today. And the other one is like, how well can, and clearly can you think? And that's going to come down to how calm versus how stressed you are and how fatigued you are in some sense. 
So we, that's sort of like a buying point for people who are particularly that, again, higher end runner or higher end athlete. So then when it comes down to if we just go in each section and the bit, I think, again, the mechanical one's the easiest one to understand. If you're trying to maximize the efficiency of your movement to sort of save yourself energy, you want to make sure that you're getting intra-abdominal pressure around your trunk. That's simply the pressure that's going around in your sort of abdomen area in your tummy, which then just allows you to sort of transfer force from your foot up through your body. The way you get intra-abdominal pressure is by your diaphragm dropping down. So where it sits is just sort of under your rib cage. And when you, when it drops down, it creates this pressure that sort of stabilizes stabilizes your spine in a way that allows a, a tension to be put across the body. The, the first way to learn that is by respiration. So as you breathe in, your diaphragm drops down, it creates that intra-abdominal pressure. And then from a mechanical standpoint, a lot of movements just feel easier for people. Mm-hmm. So once they can figure out how to get that breathing going, then all of a sudden movements such as squatting, running, just a bunch of movements just feel easier. So when I teach people, the idea it's about how firstly how do they learn to inhale uh, simply tongue on the roof of the mouth breathe in and out through your nose and as you breathe in can you feel that sort of expansion in that full 360 so if i put my hands around my ribs and in particular on this big c shape as i breathe in through my nose can i feel through each piece of my thumb that's around my back around the side and to the tips is it expanding and if it is, then you know that you're getting a good intra-abdominal pressure. And that's sort of like level one. And a lot of people struggle with that because they haven't taken a, a good deep breath in a long time. Mm-hmm. And it's just like anything, like if my muscle doesn't get used because the diaphragm is just a muscle, it just doesn't know how to go through that range. And that there is like the first sort of fundamental tool to the mechanics. And and that, that word, that, that word, that sentence, take a deep breath. I think people don't engage with that or... I certainly didn't engage with it properly until I thought about the mechanics and take a deep breath. Deep is deep. So you got to breathe down. You know, people yeah. take a deep breath and they go, no, that's a, that's a shallow breath. That's a high breath. Deep is deep. And I think often just one word can just go, oh, yeah, deep is deep. And it, it makes sense. Well, uh, and it makes sense. Like when you look at the way that your trunk is sort of structured into how your brain's talks to your trunk it has very poor proprioceptive capacity you don't if i say to you can you feel your belly button without touching it it's very hard to to mentally feel that but the moment i put my hand on you around your rib or down there if i say breathe into my finger or to my hand mentally that's an easy concept it takes a few breaths but you'll go oh that's so much easier than just trying to think of breathe deep Uh and when you when you go it's like that's the neurology saying how about we teach people to breathe like that and if you go back to like your childhood development as a baby how did you first sort of learn it when you came out of the womb on your stomach or on your back mm-hmm. like you have this sensory feedback from a, a very firm surface and that's how you first learn to like get those breaths going on automatically They're like like stimulation points really yeah i think i saw um i think it was brian mckenzie did a small uh, post on instagram and he, he put uh just a elastic band on these jump strap bands around around the thorax, around the lower ribs, just to just get that get that feedback. Mm. Um, Ironically yeah. enough, I'm standing right here, so my heart rate <laughs> monitor is sitting right here. Uh, perfect tool if you just lower it just a smidgen and like make sure it's the right tension, it'll show you where you're supposed to breathe as long as it's not too tight and it's not restrictive. Yeah. But like, yeah, and uh, one of the reasons, like when I uh, we go back to teaching people, like you want to upright first and kind of what you said if you can't if you're not breathing well at rest and and calmly you're not going to breathe well when you're running mm-hmm. you go running and you're huffing and puffing i'm going to take you back a step if i have to and go can you stand there and do it and most people struggle and then you know if you go into well can you do it on a single leg well if you can't do it standing you're not doing it on a single leg mm-hmm. so rather than going backtracking all the time which is what i i tried to do at the start i just went straight to the ground i went i'm going to re pro or help you reprogram this from the ground so you get all of these cues we can go through each step slowly of what the deep breath is where to feel it what you're trying to do because once people get that concept because people to be honest they pick it up really quick because i think it's already neurologically ingrained in some way they get up and go i can't breathe on my leg like i can't stand there and do it and that then sort of gives them the indicator like oh this is a problem and simply because gravity goes this way and it's always working on you and then the weight bearing has changed you've got your legs involved now the mechanics are entirely different and 
that is important to understand because breathing on your back is good, but if you can't breathe, particularly on at least on a single leg position, the same way you can on the ground, with the same sort of ease and lack of tension, yeah. I already know that you're not going to breathe while running. It's just not going to happen yet. So we have to train that. Yeah. Yeah. Excellent. That doesn't get people just, you know, very good runners or, you know, experienced runners, fast runners. And you get them and you just say, right, stand on one leg and just wait to hop 10 seconds. Mm. And someone can't even do it. You're like, well, if you can't hop <laughs> on one leg yeah. 10 seconds. It's, it, it's like the aha moment, right? That is like, oh. I can't, I can't do it. It's amazing. Same as calf raises, right? Like you get someone to do a calf raises, like they can, they can do eight. And you yeah. went like, did you, do you know the math of like, you just did a 10 K run and how many steps you've taken and you can't give me eight calf raises. Like yeah. what's, there's a mismatch here. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. yeah like that, that's the mechanical side essentially. And like you, it builds up progress, like any progressive overload model, right? I yeah. start on the floor, so you, you, get, you work your way up. So do you just with everyone just right on the floor and then work from there every time just yep. so i i i messing around with different levels just start there yeah it was one thing because i i've I'm, i've got some training in that the dns stuff and a lot of their stuff like they when you're in your hardcore person in it they go through each position in sort of a methodical way because there's a lot of these different sensation points stimulation points that they want you to then re-engage certain muscles now i don't i don't go into that category because i just don't think they're all necessary because you're an adult you've been walking so you don't necessarily need all of those points Mm -hmm. but there are some things that you just need to look a little jig or a little reminder Mm -hmm. and what i found for the coaching and teaching of people is that they, they can kind of get the idea on the ground well, which just gives them the framework to do it in standing. But if you go, say, to a midpoint, let's say it's even standing or if it's sort of kneeling, it's already a harder skill. So they don't, they're, they're trying to link like the kneeling aspect versus gravity then with the respiration and it's too many layers. So I just went back to the start and go on the ground and just start there and, and then allow them to progress up and Part of it was built off. There's another lady in Brisbane um, called Rachel Vickery who did a research and a thesis uh, years ago now, like maybe 20 years. And she just did five minutes of supine breathing with a bunch of track cyclists. Uh-huh. And it was it was five minutes like every day on their back, I think before training. And all of their time trial um, times improved. And mm-hmm. that's all she did. Like she didn't do anything else with them physically. Their training was all the same. And it was like, ah, oh. like it can be that simple. And it was like this little incline. If you just start there, even though you and I both know that from a progressive overload model, strength and conditioning, I probably need to get them up here to match what I want. This can still have a whole host of benefits and to the point on your health, on other factors that you don't understand if you know how to make those connotations. It's only I'm getting you onto a single leg into a running posture to help you running. Like that's, that's the goal, but I want to get everything at that base level right first. And the analogy I always use with them is like, you're not going to build your house on wet cement. So like, if you, you know, make this, make it steady here. So when you go up, at least you've got something to fall back to, because you're always going to fall as low as that basement is versus, you know, how high your ceiling is. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Um, Cool. Thank you. So let's go back a little bit to, to, to nasal breathing. Um, Cause I'm sure a lot of people have, have, heard of people doing nasal breathing only running um about but why 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 do we want to breathe nasally running uh, in general and should we be doing it while running while competing um because obviously it's a lot, maybe a lot harder um, yeah yeah so it's a really good question and it's one that you know most people again when if you try it for the first time you struggle right like i'm sure you tried it as well and it kind of feels miserable in that first go. Um, it's 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 such a different feeling. You might be getting like this cold burn up your nose, or you just might not be feeling like you get enough oxygen in because mm-hmm. the con the conversion is really hard. So when when we start with this idea of like you have obviously a nose and a mouth, and both can breathe in and out, which is really good, but your mouth is not designed in the way that your nose is. Like when when we look at the the very first piece of the anatomy. These holes here that we have, our nostrils, as they come in, they're much smaller than the mouth. And what that automatically from the first get-go does is increases the resistance to oxygen and airflow coming in. That naturally will actually kick in a little bit of abdominal engagement. 
just a little bit, which is going to allow for better rib cage position. So it mechanically starts to set you up for a better in-breath. So your diaphragm's in a better spot, your rib cage is in a better spot. And that position is a stronger foundation closer to the position that we want when you're trying to like get mechanical efficiency. The second part is because it increases the resistance quite a lot, you are going to find that you actually uptake oxygen far more efficiently. Because when I take this really big breath in, I can get more volume in. There's no one can ever debate that. The, the volume is actually far reduced through your nose, but the efficient uptake is improved and partially comes to resistance is the first piece. The second part is when I breathe through my nose, I've got my little filtration system. So if we imagine I've got my little hairs in here that they're sort of designed in a way to block a lot of dust, a lot of debris, your mouth doesn't have that. So every time I take that big breath in through my mouth, I'm getting all that irritant into my throat or potentially even further down into my trachea, into my bronchioles. And that's going to cause a cough reflex and you don't want that. Your mouth doesn't catch that debris. If, if the hair doesn't, doesn't catch it, you have mucus in there. And that, that mucus and the hair are designed as your first sort of line of like, it's like your immune system. But essentially they're going to catch all the debris then it'll sort of allow like a, a clean air to go down. And your mouth doesn't have any of that function. And then finally, with, with the way the nose is designed, you have these things called conquer. So if you imagine like three sort of deep cutting levels, when the wind or sorry, when the air comes in, it actually creates this little turbine system where the air is rolling around inside your nasal cavity. Now, the reason for that is the longer the, the air sort of in the nasal cavity, the more time it has to heat up, which it needs to for you to then absorb it further down the track because the air has to be heated up to a roughly core body temperature okay. for you to absorb it. It's why when you go out for a run in, on a cold morning and you're breathing through your mouth and you, you're finding it hard to breathe because the air is dry and it's cold and it kind of hurts, a lot of that comes from the inability to convert that air and then dampen it and moisten it mm -hmm. and heat it up so you can actually absorb it well wow. so then and like that's like you know they're, they're the, the easiest parts of the anatomy to sort of visualize when you look at the textbook and stuff and i go okay that seems to make a lot of sense as to why we would nasally breathe mm -hmm. and then uh, as you would have read in the oxygen advantage the the lovely chemical of nitric oxide it is released in your paranasal sinuses and what it does is it's a vasodilator so it opens up your blood vessels which is a really good thing because we want to transport more blood and more oxygen and more red blood cells to places we need it. So if we can open it up, which we do with exercise and allow that transfer to be a bit more efficient, you're creating a, a more efficient oxygen trans, so transport system, mm -hmm. which is really good. Like, and then, you know, we, you need that and that actually goes down into your lungs. So it opens up the blood vessels in your lungs to allow the oxygen to get down there and then sort of wrap around the capillaries into like the alveoli, which is like the sacs in the lung where the oxygen sort of tra uh, transport goes to and then how it transfers over into the, the blood cell and vice versa. So by doing all those things, well, the nose then becomes the superior option. Like the mouth does none of that. And then to the question then is, should you be doing it with running? Like if you're getting all of those options from your nasal breathing, Mm -hmm. all those benefits the answer is yes you should be doing it with your running now there's going to be a caveat to that because like all things some people can't some people just don't have that skill yet and you don't want to force them to if they can't they can't if they have a deviated septum or if they've got some other mm -hmm. sort of congenital issues or there's other structural issues they might not be able to and we can mitigate some of the, the resistance stuff by learning to breathe through your most uh, sorry your mouth efficiently but if you are someone who is just, you know, say, a general person who can breathe through their nose, okay, but you just don't, the advice would be you really want to do it and it's going to be hard at the start, but in the long term, which we can get into like the metabolism energy sort of transfer stuff, mm -hmm. you will find it's the far more efficient and far better way to get things done, particularly over a one, two, three, five-year span of time. Yeah, and I would say as well, even if you have a deviated septum or something or you have resistance, try anyway <laughs> uh, yeah oh, I've, I've broke my nose five times playing, playing well, four times playing rugby once falling off my bike and i i have resistance all the time every breath i can feel that here there's resistance when i run if i run nasally i can feel that but it still works you know sometimes mm -hmm. I'll, sometimes i'll say all right i'm going to do nasal breathing just for the warm-up or the first kilometer Perfect. Actually, and it feels quite hard 
But once I get to that first kilometer, I'm like, well, actually, it's, I'm, I'm still running. I'm not dying. And I can keep it going. I've, I think I've had it, done it for 10K quite, and it feels, it's easier and easier to go. Obviously, once I hit a hill sometimes, I'm like, oh, oh, take a few big deep breaths or so. Um, but you still want to try for sure. Um, well, the the analogy I use there is like, if your sink's clogged, would you leave the sink clogged or would you just replace it? Yeah. Like you're not going to replace the sink. So you're not, you shouldn't just replace your nose with your mouth. Mm -hmm. You should try everything possible to try and get your nose optimal. And honestly, a lot of it, like nasal breathing allows you to breathe better nasally. Like it just takes lots of repetition and practice. And it does, there's a bunch of stuff that changes in there as you do more and more nasal breathing. But like, it's just, you've got to try. And like, if you at some point need to breathe through your mouth, which is going to happen at some point, that's okay. Like, don't begrudge it and don't look at it so negatively, but the nose is the primary source. And like up the hill, for example, like when you're increasing your metabolic output and you're having more CO2, that CO2 tolerance, which we'll touch on later, like that's very important. If you can't tolerate it, might as well blow it out because, you know, you still need to run. Yeah. Like we need to get rid of it in some way. So don't, yeah. you know, you don't want to sit there struggling the whole way up the hill. Yeah. People like know that you, know, you want oxygen in as a fuel source to help with the fuel and you want to get rid of CO2 because it's a waste sort of gas. Um, and, and that's fundamentally true. Like I want to blow off that CO2, but your body in a sense has like senses of how much CO2 you can tolerate. So if I have a higher CO2 tolerance, mm -hmm. essentially what's that saying is I have a better stress level because your physiological stress all comes from CO2 and how your body responds to that. You, you know, the big sensors in your carotid artery and around your aorta, like they uh, set off and like, oh, okay, CO2 is high, I need to breathe. Mm -hmm. And if I have that sensor at a low thing, like a low level every time it hits the co2 it's i need to breathe i need to breathe and you're going to breathe more rapidly and more rapidly so learning the co2 tolerance becomes very important for like the the, even the biomechanics because if i can't tolerate co2 then i'm not going to be able to take a long slow deep breath in because as i breathe in i'm still building co2 and as i'm breathing out even though i'm breathing it out it's still building up so they're as all things are they're entering intrinsically linked in a way that you need co2 tolerance to be able to take a full breath in mm -hmm. and you need you know a full breath in ability to make sure you breathe out the appropriate co2 like with I not a, blowing too much in it or sort of blowing off too little i had a client question me on this subject um a while back says yeah but why do i feel the need to breathe in i don't feel the need to breathe out it's not like my body's desperate to get rid of the air i need to feel like i need to breathe in um, and I was like, huh, yeah, so it's not, but then I realized it's the, it's the, it's the, it's the tolerance level. So it's just the, the signal said, whoa, breathe. And it's the path. It's not like you have more CO2 you need to get out. It's just the, the signal in your brain saying, breathe, 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 because yeah. the, the alarm button has been pushed, not because there's yeah. so much in your body that you need to get out. Yeah. That and like that's the one of the things that you know, you try to educate people on is like you know when you have that urge to breathe, that urge has nothing to do with oxygen. Like you have plenty of oxygen. Like if you check your sats, like your saturation of oxygen, which is just showing you how much oxygen is bound to hemoglobin in your body, for mm -hmm. most people at rest, it's going to be ninety five to ninety nine. It's always going to be fine. It's not a problem. So it shows you that it's not you. You don't have enough oxygen that you need to breathe in. It's just that you can't tolerate CO two. And when you do like real big hypoxic training or breath holds, like you can drop that sat down, but 90% of the time, it's still that it's just tolerance of CO2. Yeah, okay. And like another, like CO2 is amazing because like it is, A, it's a vasodilator mm -hmm. and it's a bronchiodilator from memory as well. So it's it's going to help open up. Well, it's a, it's a smooth muscle relaxant essentially. So it and helps open up the breathing pathway because you've got a bunch of like smooth muscle in here and then if it's a vasodilator as well again similar to what nitric oxide does it opens up that transport pathway for oxygen yeah so and then you know the biggest part of the whole sort of oxygen advantage book about co2 is co2 is needed to unbind oxygen from red blood cells to allow the oxygen to get to your muscle yeah. so the more tolerant you can become of co2 the better you're going to be able to utilize oxygen yeah 
it just so happens that by doing that, you're also then getting a better mechanical breath in and you're learning to deal with this sort of physical stress, which then correlates to psychological stress of how that all feels, which allows you to be a little bit more clear in your thinking and planning, but also allows your subconscious to do the skill that you're trying to do, which is, you know, in the our case, what we're talking about is running. Yes. Yeah. So, yeah. It, it, CO2, I would say, it, it opens the door for oxygen to get into your blood and into your brain. Mm. If you if your CO2 tolerance level is so low, or your or your your CO2 level is low, that door is kind of half shut or jammed shut. So you're not, you're yeah. not the most of the oxygen that you breathe in. Um, yeah. Yeah. So I we do it's a coordination test um, as part of our part of our. Um, analysis of, of movement and running here um, and it's amazing with i would say mostly kids um but you know adults as well when we do the coordination test you know, and it stresses the nervous system because you're you're getting them to to move the legs very very quickly in a particular way um and sometimes you just see almost within seconds that they're their breathing just shoots through the roof in terms of hyperventilation and then after you know, 10 seconds or so the coordination just blows apart mm. same with running you, you're trying to get into a few drills on the treadmill with the technique and they just the arms go everywhere they almost trip up and if you just so what i say is just breathe through your nose and in front of the mirror is usually in front and i say make it look like it's nothing to you like it's really easy like you're just having a walk in the park just your face and your breathing and instantly, often, not always, the, the movement becomes a lot easier. They can do it for a lot yeah. longer just because they've, they're actively breathing through the nose and just trying not to get to that stressed position. Um, mm. and, and that's a key, key thing with, with this uh, stress and breathing. If you are less stressed, if you breathe properly, your body works a lot better. And it and functions in in so many different ways. Like the the stress position, everyone knows. Like you, well, there's two. You got the fetal position, the absolute fetal, or you got this big flaring position where, like, if you get a fright and you're like, ah, oh, you yeah. you flare up. You know, everything comes up and everything kind of gets locked into an extension position, mm -hmm. and that is a very very stable position. So joints are all locked at end of range. Like everything's stuck there, and it's really good if you want to be stable. And it's what a lot of people do with their squatting and deadlifting and even when they're running when you see them in that sort of duck butt position it's very stable there like it, it the problem with it is you don't have options for movement like if you have end of ranges of things if i'm stuck in extension i can only go one way or i'm going to jam about the end if i can learn to be more comfortable in this middle zone i have a lot of options so when i have to deal with force around me or react to things i have a far better chance of not hurting myself or allowing my body to react in a more appropriate manner for the task at hand mm -hmm. to then deal with the force that it needs to mostly because i've got option and that's the biggest thing about where your optimal sort of breathing position is once you understand what it feels like and you get up it often sits in a rough middle zone right. and that just comes down to then I have options. So you should learn to breathe at like the end of ranges. There's nothing wrong with that. It's a really good skill, but it often at the start, it has to be that middle range and you want people to move efficiently and mechanically and feel less stressed. It all just happens around this nice, everything happens around one position first. Yeah. And it's amazing. We'll touch on like the neurology of like how that all can function from like particularly from your feet, but yeah. people, their coordination will go out the window because there's this, it's too hard to control yeah. segments, right? Once you've, you're puffing and huffing and you, you can't relax. Exactly. Yeah. So, uh, uh, a common problem we see for four runners, if I just get to this position so Kelly can see, is exactly this position where the, the chest is puffed out and the shoulders are up. And in, in this position, obviously, your breathing is going to be compromised. But what we often see is in this position, with the butt stuck out, okay. Got very little tension or you know stability in the in the core in the front. Um, in this position, your butt just doesn't work very well. Your 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 big power muscles don't work very well. For, so in terms of efficient running, if you want to get faster, you know I've had I've had a client before where she had hip pain, incredible hip pain, sleeping, running, walking, 
Um, and we, I tried for weeks with hip movements. She just couldn't engage with the with with the muscles, with the movements. She just always was feeling tension in somewhere else. I was like, oh, so okay, and maybe you can't. Maybe it's a core issue because she was in this position. Is that like, okay? So we did some core work. She couldn't get her core to work. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I was like, that's, okay, a, that's always your thoracic cave. Your thoracic is just really jammed up. So if we release that, I was like, oh, that didn't really work either. I was like, oh. I was like, okay, let's peel another layer. Breathing. Because she was a very good compensator, and that was a thing. Which every time I was like, it looks okay, but it looks okay, but let's try. And every time I tried, it was like, oh no, this is not good. Mm. And then we got back to the breathing and we worked on the breathing and all of a sudden, aha. And then she started to get some joy with the thoracic cage. And then her abs or her core, she could start to use her core and wasn't feeling her back. I was like, wow, cool. And then a week later, finally back to the hips. I was like, whoa, I wish I was better at this breathing stuff. I wish I could have seen that, <laughs> wish I could have seen that first. Mm. Oh, that, was, it's... that was the issue. But often the best athletes are the best compensators and you're... Mm really uh, i didn't have the test or didn't have the, the the nuanced eye to see that that breathing was 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 an issue or didn't know that you gotta love those clients they're all they're, they're, they're the aha moments really they That's teach really you a lot cool one of the the useful frameworks that i learned and this this goes for practitioners as well as runners is like you have your your proximal stuff so the stuff around your trunk and then the distal stuff and and in this case we'll just use like the foot so the foot's the most distal part mm-hmm learning the breathing on the on the back and on the ground is really really useful because it, it sort of sets in play that foundation the one that you learned as a child which if all things went well that's not a problem and some of the the most amazing athletes like i've treated uh some of them are just amazing like they can do it straight away they don't know they're doing it they just know how to do it really well and you can that's like oh that's really nice to see but it's all about getting that proximal stability and breath and then you've got to link it to distal distally driven tissue so your foot and your ankle because the the easy analogy is what well, what's the what's the first thing that hits the ground mm-hmm. like you know when you're running you're not hitting it with your knee or your hip or your back you're hitting it with your foot and then everything up the chain responds mm-hmm. so we need to make sure that you've got your respiration going. You can move everything around here, but I need to make sure stuff that the foot's going on really, really well, because if it doesn't, then that's going to change the way things happen up here. So there's such a relationship with that, that we need to make sure of. And to your point, like, you know, if you're flexing through here and you're extending through here, can you control in different positions? If I stopped you and said, all right, stop there. Can you breathe? Stop there. Can you breathe? And you'll find just so many different positions. They're like, it goes from this nice, long, calm breath to because they just they they haven't got the coordination in that position, so their nervous system freaks out and they just can't breathe. Yeah, it's, uh, like the great Kelly Strait says, if you can't breathe in a position, you don't own that position. And unfortunately, mm-hmm. we're, we're moving through lots of positions automatically at pace, um, so we can kind of cheat. Um, yeah. But there's a lot of positions, and if you don't own all those positions or the movement through those positions, then your breathing is going to be compromised. And, and the thing is that what people don't realize, perhaps, is that you know your body doesn't want to get injured, and you've got all these <laughs> sensors in your body working, you know, all the time. Mm. And if something's getting tired, if something's getting overused, a little overbelasted, you would say in German, mm. German. You know, your body's going to be sending some signals. It's like, whoa, what's happening down here? And you'll say, settle down. Yeah, that nervous response (laughs) is, you know, increased to your stress response. And if you if you're breathing through your nose, then you you very quickly get that nervous nervous response that you I can't breathe through my nose anymore. So it can be that it's a really it's a really good. like say nobody gets injured because you don't get to that um, really pushing level. You can't push past and no. just ignore this the fact that your body's screaming, something is not yeah. right. Here. Yeah. It's like a buffer zone almost. Like yeah. when you look at like that whole load capacity thing oh. and like you have a capacity line, like that's it. And you can go over it with the load and you can be totally fine. Like people do it all the yeah, time, yeah. theoretically. But I, I, I have this mental model that you have a buffer zone that you can go in and out of, but yeah. if you keep going in and out of it, you'll break it. But that buffer zone is going to be how well you responding to what your body's telling you. Mm-hmm. Like that's the biggest trick to it, right? And if 
and unfortunately we're driven by numbers and and data a lot in our day and age and if i just went for a run just for the sake of running and just stopped when i felt like stopping versus worrying about my 20 minutes or my 2k or 5k probably wouldn't get hurt you just stop you'd be like ah i feel good i'm gonna rest now you might not progress as fast and perform as well which is why we have to have the data but you probably wouldn't get hurt and you'd enjoy the run far more and i i think as well focusing on the breath um you know, it's it's instant feedback. You know, we've all mm. these, these watches that are heart rate monitors and things like that, and people are obsessed over their heart rate. Um, but again, it's data. Mine flies up to 192 sometimes when I'm going down my bike. I'm like, what the heck's going? What's going on? So it's you know, it's not perfect. And um, no, they they they, they have falls. They have flaws. Yeah, but and you're and you and everybody's heart rate is different. But you're you know you're breathing. You know, it's instant feedback of how your body's feeling. And a lot of people, you know, run with music, I run with music as well. Um, and you're not really, people aren't aware of their breathing. So they're not aware of the, this feedback they're getting. They can't hear how they're breathing. They can't hear how they're landing either. Um, you are your own best Garmin or Sudo watch. Just how, how are you, how's your body feeling? And often people, um, you know, the athletes and the, the big uh, the weekend warriors, you know, they're obsessed, they obsess over the data. It's like, oh, why did I get injured? I was feeling good. My heart rate variability and blah, 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 blah. And it's like, yeah, but how did you feel? It's like, mm. I don't know. Fine. Well, <laughs> yeah, haven't, haven't tuned into that one in a while. Yeah. <laughs> no. Yeah, but I think that's like you hit on a key point there, like with, with the whole running thing and the, and the music. So, like, I, I don't run with music and I, but I've never run with music. And this was well before the breathing thing. I just don't enjoy it. Mm-hmm. But, to your point and exactly it, like you, you have this distraction almost because it's, it's layering another load of like, I'm listening to a podcast or music. So it is harder to take on that sort of interoceptive feedback and it, it does become challenging. And one of the things, and we can, we'll get into like how you should breathe with that aspect was running because if I breathe calmly with, as I'm running, like I don't, I don't teach people to run with a two step in two step out type model. I've never found it successful because I, like when I do it, I often breathe in for five to 10 steps and breathe out for five to 10 steps. Like it's all, it's like an awfully slow breath, yeah. which has taken a bit to cultivate, mm-hmm. but it's, it's all designed. Like I'm still trying to breathe out for as long as possible because at, when you breathe out your heart rate, blood pressure drop, and then when you breathe in, your heart rate and blood pressure rise. It's a reflex, a natural reflex in your body. And that has to do with like how the pressures are going into like your thorax versus abdomen, et cetera. But what, what we're seeing, like if you can learn to feel that whilst you're running, you're going to then be a bit more sort of intuitive with how you're feeling. Like, oh, I can feel that my left calf is being a bit funny. I'm going to think about that for the next couple of minutes just to see how it's responding. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm breathing. I'm staying calm. I could probably keep going here versus I got my 25 minutes. I've got to run. I've got my music in. I'm just going for it. Yeah. Yeah, oh, yeah, I don't like to feel what the body's going through. <laughs> No, that was <laughs> my knee hurts. I want to. I, I'm not stopping. You know, that's it, and that's a mindset and like an identity thing, right? Like you've got to try and get them around some of those aspects, which can be yeah. quite challenging at times. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I we do a lot of um, walk runs with with everyone just for learning technique, um, and you can see people freaking out that they have to walk run for under five k, um, or for a half an hour run, whatever. Um, but they're often faster. <laughs> because <laughs> they walk well because they're, they're breathing and they're focusing on walking well and they're also you know you know running well um, and mm. that running well is much better for the body they're getting fitter because they're using more of their muscles musculoskeletal system rather than just you know their skeletal system <laughs> yeah well that's and that's the thing like you know your, your bones and joints can take on so much but they need a bit of help we've got all these big breaking muscles here they might as well do something yeah, exactly yeah. Good. So, um, what, um, yeah, talk us through, you know, breathing for running. How, how, how do you, how do you get people going on that to, to, to improve if, if someone has decided, okay, yeah, or tested, or maybe we should do tests first. Is there, is there a specific test that someone can do at home to check if their breathing is terrible or, 
or Wales. <laughs> yeah, that's, it's a good good question. So, uh, uh, first, like to be honest, is like the mechanical test. Like I like the. Can you re- just constantly remind yourself of what that nice long, slow, deep breath feels like physically? From what like I've taught them in the clinic, and what we've discussed is our shared understanding of what that means. So then they. That's the first thing I need them and want them to remember. And then that's followed up with, you know, like the bolt test. I do still use the bolt test quite a lot, which is their body oxygen uh, level test, which is taught through the oxygen advantage. Essentially, it's it's trying to show you how tolerant to CO2 you are. Mm-hmm. And then the, you, you combine a mechanical test mm-hmm. with the CO2 tolerance test. Mm-hmm. I'll, often I'll find a third test, some uh, whether it be physical or psychological test. Mm-hmm. Something I learned from Brian McKenzie and Rob Wilson, uh, Power Speed Endurance, Shift Adapt, whatever you want to call them now, is that you find that you, if you have three tests, super simple, takes you next to no time to figure out, you will find that if two of the three of them are indicating that you feel feeling good, then that's a pretty good indicator. If if three of them are like oh, CO two tolerance is down, I'm just not mechanically feeling good, and like psychologically, I'm just not feeling happy. That's a good indicator that you're just not ready to run today. And like we get that data now from like your aura rings or your watches and stuff, but they're more like interoceptive type ideas. Like I'm trying to feel that I'm not ready. So like I'll use those tests um, together as like a little package to get people to do it. And then when it comes to like with running and how I introduce it, like I said, it'll always be on the ground first. And I, I that might be where they do it before they run. A lot of the times it'll be practice that before you run. And as a part of like a, a little bit more of a holistic approach, there's a bunch of jumping and plyometrics and other things I introduce. But the first, the start of every session is first breathing because mm-hmm. it's like a transition into the next thing you're about to do. So if you've, let's say you, you wake up and you go for a run, you brush your teeth, you've done whatever, all right, I'm going to go for a run, I'm going to do a warm up, I'm going to breathe. Because then it it becomes the mark of your mindset to shift mm-hmm. from what you were doing to I'm now breathing to get ready for my event mm-hmm. right, or exercise or whatever. Ideally, we want to get them off the ground at some point, but start on the ground, make sure you got that part right. And then I use a lot of the running pose method mm-hmm. um, and the way it functions. Like Because I, I, I there's a whole topic around balance, right? But I love the balancing drills and I love the sort of springiness type position to weight shift and learning that sort of feeling. So I'll get people into those positions that mimic running positions and practice their breathing and see how it feels. And it's not that I'm going to make them breathe on the ground and then in all these positions before running, because that would just be too time inefficient for them. Mm-hmm. But as we're going to pick one or two, you're going to practice, you know, two minutes of just each position, do your other warm up, and then go and that might be all they get in the start of their sort of session for running by itself. And then with running, it's just nasal breathing. It's just for most of the sessions, like particularly, so any long runs, any recovery runs or any of your aerobic based sort of, you know, your, your zone one to two, mm-hmm. it's all nasal and there's no compromise unless you have some reason that you can't breathe through your nose. Mm-hmm. When, and I don't, I don't know how you do it. This is the interesting talking point. I don't give a lot of, um, moderate level training anymore like a lot of it is dictated around like higher intervals or we'll do hill sprints or we'll just do sprint intervals and stuff to really kick it into gear to get the most out of that mechanical sort of stress and i i say to them like go nasal as long as you can but when you have to shift to mouth go for it like you have to at some point offload that co2 Mm -hmm. our goal is to try and push you to that point that you can offload it rapidly and then come back to nasal breathing really quickly like i don't want you huffing and puffing for two or three minutes i want you to like go all right that's bloody hard Mm -hmm. all right good i'm gonna recover with nasal and go again and go again yeah Um, we often find that you know so in clinic we'll do 20 or 30 second drills and yeah it is effective it's high high intensity training but um depending on the person depending on we work different speeds different inclines yes. and we're working on technique so the person has to be able to control what the body's doing so if someone can't control it we have to drop speed down with the rest with the pause so after about you know when something's really taxing the nervous system in terms of our, our coordination test if it's really taxing someone will get to about 12 seconds and then you can really see, see the movement becomes difficult and they have to really think about what they're doing so in terms of when we're talking about technique and then thus with breathing as well, we have to keep it short too. Yes. So they're able to continue to do or over-exaggerate 
perfect as long as possible and then recover and this is how they, they're learning and um, once we get to kind of we do like a six session block um once they get if they're doing well once they get into kind of session five session six that's when it should be a little bit more automatic they've done the homework um and then we'll start to just okay relax a little bit more you don't it's not make it not too hard and hopefully the the movement and the breathing and so is is a lot more fluid and that's when we start to they can start doing you know the the yeah let's call them the tempo runs not yeah not, not long and slow but not short and fast yeah is that 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 middle ground um certainly with beginners but whenever we're trying to do technique that's our general um so yeah fits in exactly what yeah. Well, and that's the thing, like, you know, they're, they're, at the start, a lot of the programs, like I say, I'm developing now at the moment to try and help people with without needing to coach them. I just assume that you can't do uh, that high zone four or five stuff. Like I just mentally go like, you can't do it because you haven't got that basic stuff right yet. Yeah. And like, I know there's a really good sprint, uh, repeated sprint drill that I love that I actually got exposed through uh, kettlebell training, to be mm -hmm. honest with you. And it's about how you get the energy pathways to do certain things. And it's really going down to like a cellular level with a like description, but you can do a really good bunch of repeated sprint drill work, mm -hmm. which is going to have a really good effect on your aerobic system. But like, you know, like most people can't handle the mechanical stress of sprinting, <laughs> particularly when they're not used to it. So yeah, you, you don't do it. You just, you have to, go back and do all the other stuff just a little bit to load the engine. And I think that's where strength training has had such a boom in this year, but also has then missed a bit of a point like springy, your running should be quite efficient and springy. You don't, yes, if I get stronger, I'll take on the load better, but it's often done. Most traditional strength training is done slowly. And like you said, running is not slow. It's not conscious. It is like an unconscious free sort of flow movement that needs to be put in with bounding and, and jumping and like having that sort of reflex go on. And there's no, there's no reason that you should have to think about your breathing or have to think about your technique. If you're running well, it should just feel, and I'm mm -hmm. sure you've had this well. It just feels easy. Like yeah. it just feels like absolute like fluid and it's lovely good okay so we can gloss over the fact that my computer died and <laughs> it just started again <laughs> i lost my place <laughs> yeah. good and um, so last thing i want to talk about is just because it's so well known um is the the relationship uh, Wim Hof breathing um or Wim Hof um breathing because that's almost completely different yeah seems like it's very very different, completely different to what we've just been talking about in terms of nasal breathing and slow, easy breathing. Whereas the Wim Hof um, technique, um, which is one of many techniques for, 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 for breath work, is completely different. It is like almost hyperventilation, quite, a, a, let's call it aggressive breathing. So mm. where, how does that, where does that sit with, um, with yeah. what, you, what we want to have in terms of good breathing and effective breathing? So, so probably there's a few models to sort of look at this at, right? Like with your nervous system, if we start there, you've got your sympathetic nervous system. That's when we're in the fight flight mode. That's, that's that sort of, if that's really ramped up, that's the stress stuff in your parasympathetic system. That that's your rest and digest. That's the calmer stuff. So in, in, in terms of a sort of stress modulator, your slow, long, slow, deep breathing is going to bring you more into that parasympathetic side. Your Wim Hof breathing is going to take you more into the sympathetic nervous system drive. So that's like, it's a very much an upregulator. It's something that gets you alert. It's sort of like a, an acute stressor in some sense. When you compare it to say the oxygen advantage and stuff that we talked about versus what Wim Hof is, they both are hypoxic training. So they're both trying to minimize how much oxygen you get in mm -hmm. and teaching you how to deal with that. The biggest difference is that your oxygen advantage is hypercapnic. It is designed in a way that you're supposed to learn to deal with CO2 tolerance. Mm -hmm. Wim Hof is hypocapnic. So you're not learning to deal with CO2 tolerance per se in the same way. What you're acting what you're doing is you're blowing off all the CO2 and then sitting with it. So it's one of the reasons why people can hold their breath longer with Wim Hof is you get rid of all the CO2. So the marker that causes you to breathe mm -hmm. and you can just sit there, feel comfortable because you've blown it all off. The biggest, the biggest difference is I, so I've done Wim Hof a lot. I really like, it. I think it's good. It's just that it's an additional stressor. So I look at it like sprinting that if you don't, can't do 
this stuff well here, the karma, the regular breathing, I'm not going to make you sprint just yet okay. because I need, I need you to have the base, right? The foundation, that model of once this is done, do you know what to go back to? Mm -hmm. And most people don't. Um, I have been asked a lot of times by a lot of my friends because I'm the breath guy around is like, should I do Wim Hof every day when it, particularly as it's been getting bigger, it's like, well, you can, and there's not necessarily a problem with that. You take a lot of breaths per day. It's just, what's your baseline? They're like, what's the other stuff you're doing? Yeah. Um, and I think it's a very useful tool. Like it's very good for a stress response. It's very good for increasing adrenaline. It's very good for teaching, like giving you like a nice sort of sense of being almost in putting you into a different state which is a fantastic thing, mm -hmm. but it doesn't have as many of the, like the mechanical properties or like the um, CO2 tolerant stuff that the yeah. other stuff can bring you. Yeah. It's, it's definitely, I mean, um, and where he, what, what's this material? A piece he's, he, he's done recently, he talks very much more about the immune system I think, with, with, his, with his work rather than, general life daily and, and, and sports performance it's, it's, it is a, a different part of it but it's it's yeah, it fits in with with everything that we're trying to do well and and one of the biggest things and like this goes with all of the training that i try to do is like we want some exposure to high intensity work like we don't want just a hundred percent low yeah. intensity so that's where like it can be so useful like i teach people uh, i i just use the term super ventilation more now because it's like what wim hof is is hyperventilating in some way but people have a negative connotation with the word so yeah. i just i just use super ventilation but i mean wim hof is it's very similar if not identical to tumor breathing which comes from tibetan months which then you mm -hmm. can go find it's different versions of that within yoga whether it be like a bastrika or a kalabati breath which are just they're all slightly different plays on the same concept of a super ventilation or a hyperventilation and they're good and they're skills that I teach same as trying to get the rib cage in the right position with forced exhales, like learning to really feel your abs, get your ribs in the right spot and breathe there. I just think they're, they're tools that, yeah, again, trial them, experiment with them, but the premise would be make sure you know what your basic baseline, good breathing sort of practice is, and then go back to that. And then I think you'll be mostly okay. Just as you know, like today, people in today's age, they're mostly stressed all the time and, I'm reluctant to continue to add stresses that, you know, uh, at least on the premise of a better foundation. I guess, I guess where where the Wim Hof method appears from the from the outside, although I've you know read a bit, watched a bit, done the app a bit, <clears throat> my favorite actually, doesn't really talk about the mechanics of breathing. Just no. just get comfortable on the floor or what's it doing. It's it's fine. Mm. Um, but like I say, stress. Um, I found that as well when I did it, um, did it a lot during COVID just because we had nothing to do. And I was like, hey, Kathy's yeah. going to go and do her yoga. I'll, I'll do some move up really cool. <laughs> but once we started going back to work, I was like, ooh, shit, I need to do my Wim Hof tonight. And it was, again, it's a stressful shit, something I need to do. Uh, and it is, although I enjoyed it, whereas the breathing every day throughout the day is, you know, like you say, the baseline, okay? Mm. Um, breathing well well i think i think I, I told you the math or i might not have run through the math like if you do it like as a i want you to understand that you breathe up to twenty five thousand times a day mm -hmm. that's a lot of times and then if i go let's let's spend five minutes of actively doing your own breathing mm -hmm. we might get somewhere between 30 and 40 breaths in in that sort of five minute block mm -hmm. that is such a small amount relative to the overwhelming 25,000 that you're going to do during the day. Mm -hmm. You're be better off, like with most practices, movement practices, mm -hmm. the daily thing is far more important than the actual exercise session or the thing. Yeah. That's just the cherry on top yeah. that we're after. Yeah, which is exactly the same. We talk about um, with foot health, it's, it's, it's the shoes you're wearing all the time or, the, or you're not wearing all the time as opposed to your running shoes. And what we do in clinic as well, we talk about walking a lot. So we do walk runs um, and like the walking is really important to get your breathing right and to get your arm swing right. Okay. Yeah. So, because if your arms are terrible when you're running, they're doing exact same thing when you're walking. So you can work on all these very, very simple things when you're walking and then yeah. when you're running, it's just automatic. So the breathing yeah. with foot strength, um and with yeah with with many other parts of it so it's it's the the daily stuff i mean 
harp on about it all the time. I think every episode of this podcast. <laughs> so the daily it's really a health podcast. It's not a running podcast, but we've, we've changed it up. It, it really is. I'm just, we're talking about <laughs> it's for runners, but actually, it's all. It's all daily stuff, you know. All the all the stuff that makes you a good runner makes you, you know, a healthy person as well. Um, yeah, it's yeah. definitely it. Like if you, well, if if your health is good, then it's going to allow you to perform better. It's a, it's a simple one. Like one of the things I, I do a lot of work with entrepreneurs, and mm-hmm. the simple thing is, you know, if you're alive, you know, you can probably work for longer. You probably get more done. So let's let's start with that and work forward. And it's a simple way for them to understand where I'm coming from. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Mm. Dude, well, that was excellent. I think I will definitely need to edit out some of the waffle that I spoke, but really cool. Nah, keep keep it. It was good. I liked it. <laughs> Great. So, thank you very much, Thomas. Um, that was and, uh, thank, really thank you, cool, Mike. Really, really um, detailed um, what people can do. Like I say, I'm gonna I'll post again um, with with this podcast a few tests um, that we already have on the on the Instagram and Facebook and um, that people can do their own tests. Um, but yeah, really, really enjoyed that. It was really... Well, I was going to say, if anyone have questions, feel free to shoot me a message and I'm sure at some point in the future we'll do another one. We can touch on some different aspects to it yeah. all. But I think, hey, um, um, yeah. And so where can people find you on Instagram or... or- so at the moment instagram is the best so the name will change at some point but for the moment it is breath performance underscore physio um i do have an email but you can reach all that sort of stuff on that page it's probably the easiest place there will be a website coming this year and that's where i'll have some of my breathing programs and stuff all right mike thank you very much mate thank you very much have a lovely evening and um, i'll see you soon cheers now see you mike bye